morning. I promise it won't be that bad. I know that when we see the words summer school, we might not endear ourselves to that very much. It's kind of like when I did career day at Wiley not long ago. I was talking and I looked back and one kid had his head down on the desk, drool coming out of his mouth, and hopefully it's not that bad for you this morning. I do want to start by saying Happy Father's Day. I know we have a lot of fathers here this morning that are striving to do their best to raise godly children. I also realize that Father's Day is not a blessed day for everyone. Some people are not all that happy today as they are mourning the loss of a father or perhaps didn't have a father in their lives. You know, there's a lot of sermons that are given on Mother's Day that are honoring our mothers, and then a lot of sermons given on Father's Day seem to bash our fathers. And I just want to say, Happy Father's Day, and if you're mourning today, then we mourn with you. So, how many of you have ever done like a word association test? You know what I'm talking about, where someone says a word, and you have to respond without thinking, without calculating, you just respond with the first thing that comes to mind. There's no wrong answer, right? So somebody says apple, you may say sauce. Somebody says tree, you may say leaf. Somebody says prison, you may say criminal, right? Somebody says Congress, you may say criminal, right? I mean, just whatever, whatever comes to mind is what you spout off. I'm going to ask you this morning to do a little word association, but this is, there's only one of two answers, okay? Yes or no? Are only good people in heaven? Now think about that for a moment. Typically, we would respond yes, because that's the way it works. Only good people go to heaven, the bad people go to hell, and that's just how this is. I want you to rethink that a little bit, though, this morning, because it seems that the Bible teaches that the bad people are the ones that are candidates for heaven and not the good. In speaking to the chief priests and the elders of the people, Jesus said, Truly I say to you that the tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. You might remember in Luke chapter 18, we have this parable that Jesus tells about a Pharisee and a publican. Both of them go to the temple to pray, but the Pharisee doesn't really pray. He brags, right? And he talks about, dear God, thank you that I'm not like this lowly tax collector. Thank you that I'm highly exalted above everybody else. But this lowly tax collector comes in with his head bowed, beating his breast, a sign of humility. And he, he comes and he prays, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And Jesus punctuates this parable by saying, I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. And what about Jesus hanging on the cross? You know, it was the religious elite that had a big hand in putting them there, right? He is hanging there alongside a couple of criminals. It was the religious elite, the so-called good people, who were so fastidious about keeping the law that they didn't want to leave the bodies on the cross because the Sabbath was coming up. And yet it was a lowly criminal, this really bad person, who Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. It would seem that only the bad people are candidates for heaven. What we see from Jesus' earthly ministry is that those who thought they were good were actually no better off than the ones that they were condemning. That, in fact, the quote-unquote good people were actually the bad people because they couldn't even see that they needed help. They couldn't see their own 
their own sin because they were too stubborn, they were too prideful. See, the ones that needed Jesus were the ones who realized that they were weak, that they were hopeless, that they were wounded, that they were broken. The outcasts of society, the so-called bad people, right? Those were the ones that Jesus came to dine with, the ones that he hung out with, and the ones that he would receive ridicule for hanging out with by the so-called good people. Here's the deal. Good people don't go to heaven. Saved people do. All of us know of some good people, I have no doubt. There's a lot of them sitting in the auditorium this morning. We all know of that one family member or that one dear friend who is such a good person. They do so many good things. They may not even necessarily believe in God. They may not go to church. They might, may not read their Bible. They may not pray on a regular basis. They may not have no, any qualms about believing in God. They may believe in a higher power or whatever, but they have a moral compass. They do morally good things. In fact, they may indict us because we're not as convicted about doing good as they are, and we're the Christian, right? We all know of people like that. We all know of really good people. And no one would dare to think that those people wouldn't be in heaven, right? Certainly, God is going to save the good people, the people who do good things. You mean to tell me that these good folks are not going to make it to heaven? I want you to hear something loud and clear this morning, and I don't mean this in any way to be uncaring or unsympathetic. It's just a biblical truth that I think we need to process, digest, and really grasp, and that is they're not good. You're not good. No one is truly good. Follow me on this. Don't write me off just yet. There may be a lot of really nice people we may know a lot of people who we would consider to be good people, who hold the door open for people, who help the little old lady cross the street, who fix the neighbor's car. They do a lot of good things. They may not get around, they may not smoke or cuss or run around with people who do. But that's not what makes them good. Goodness is a counterfeit ticket to heaven because no one is truly good, except, of course, God. Jesus even states, no one is good except God alone. So what does that mean? Well, for starters, it means that we need to stop operating under this illusion that somehow we can be good enough. This statement was made to the rich young ruler who approached Jesus and asked the most important question that anyone could ever ask. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds, not by laying out the plan of salvation, not by telling him he needs to be baptized, but he responds by saying, why do you call me good? There's no one good except the Father alone. Why would Jesus respond this way? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. I mean, Jesus focused on the rich man's statement for the purpose of pointing out that if this man thought he was good, then he must be God, for only God is good. And Jesus is, is pointing out that if God is the only one to, that is good, if Jesus is deity, then he must be good as well. He and the Father are one. We also see that if this man understood that Christ was indeed good, that he would know that he was also God in the flesh. Or to put it another way, Christ was attempting to instill faith within this man, the kind of faith that would be required for him to accept the challenge that was about to be given, right? Go sell off everything you own, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. There is a distinct and unique goodness 
to God because he is the source of all goodness, which means that if we want to be good or if we want goodness, we have to connect to the source. God-grown goodness comes from a divine source. We are not good on our own. Goodness does not characterize our sinful condition, and it is impossible for us to gain goodness on our own. No one is good except God alone. If a person is not perfect like God, then he or she is not good. And God does not grade on a curve. He does not say, well, you're not exactly perfect, but you're good enough, and therefore that's okay. Here is what Jesus had to, ta- to, had to say to some good people. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. These people did some good things. They would be considered good in our culture. And Jesus says, but I never knew you. You never took the time to develop a relationship with me. You did some good things, but you didn't have a savior. Therefore, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You see, God created us for his glory, and we have all fallen short. There is no one who is truly good because everyone has sinned. Sin is rebellion against our creator, and there is no amount of goodness that can bridge the gap that has been created because of our sin. In fact, Romans chapter 5 and verse 10 tells us that our sin makes us enemies of God. Not only are we not good, we're on the bad side apart from Christ. There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is no one or none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. And then in verse 23, Paul writes, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Goodness or good deeds does not erase sin. Blood does. The blood of Jesus. That's the whole point of the gospel. That man is totally incapable of erasing his own sin. We don't have that ability. No matter how good we try to be, no matter how moral we try to be, it's all for naught without a Savior. A million good deeds cannot erase even one sin. And if that were possible then Jesus would not have had to die. Why would God send his son if all we could do is just live morally and that be enough? The Hebrew writer said, And according to the law, one may almost say, all things are cleansed with blood, and without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Jesus had to die because you weren't good. His blood was shed for bad people, people not unlike you and me. You know, one of the most frequent questions that I get asked is, do you think so-and-so is in heaven? Just insert whatever name you want to insert there. Do you think my father is in heaven? Do you think my mother is in heaven? Do you think my brother is in heaven? Those are difficult questions. They put your back against a wall. And I'm quick to say, thankfully, that is above my pay grade. It is not my responsibility, and I'm glad it's not, to determine who is in heaven and who is not. But it's a valid question for a lot of people, isn't it? I mean, we wonder about those people who were so good, yet they never obeyed the gospel. What about Gandhi? 
What about Mother Teresa, someone who dedicated her life to doing good? You're telling me she's not in heaven because she didn't obey the gospel plan of salvation? Those are difficult questions for sure. They're valid questions. They're questions that we ponder and that we think about. But here's the deal. Somebody may be good by our standard. They may be even better than good. But our standard is not what God goes by. Our standard doesn't matter. The standard is God's goodness. Whether or not we believe a person is good is really irrelevant. God's standard is an absolute and perfect standard that is completely fair and totally consistent. He is the moral authority. He is the only one who is qualified to determine who is truly good. And certainly there are some good people who do some good things. I mean, who would argue that Mother Teresa is not better than Charles Manson, right? I mean, certainly we believe that there are degrees or levels of goodness and badness. However, good and bad are matters of degree. They are based on our view of one another. We compare imperfect people with imperfect people. But God's standard views the heart. Does the heart measure up to God's standard? And that's where we all fall short without a Savior. The question we should all be asking ourselves is, How does God view us? Not how does other people view us? I read an article not long ago entitled, Is Gandhi in Heaven? It was written by a man named Phil Whittle. And Whittle asked the question, he said, On what grounds would we have confidence to say that Gandhi is in heaven? And then he referred to a book entitled Tactics, A Game Plan for Discussing Your Christian Convictions. It was a book written by Greg Kukul. And Kukul writes this, he says, When I was in India... Christian apologist Prakash Yusidian told me of a conversation that he had with a Hindu about Gandhi, who is much revered there. Is Gandhi in heaven? The Hindu asked. Heaven would be a very poor place without Gandhi in it, he replied. Well, sir, Prakash answered, you you must at least believe in heaven then, and apparently you have done some thinking about what would qualify someone for heaven. Tell me, what kind of people go to heaven? And the person replied, good people go to heaven. But this idea of what is good is very unclear to me. What is good, he asked. And in typical Hindu fashion, he replied, good and bad are relative. There is no clear definition. If that is true, sir, that goodness is relative and can't be defined, how is it that you assume Gandhi is good and should be in heaven? Either Gandhi fulfills some external standard of goodness, thus qualifying for heaven, or goodness is relative and therefore meaningless when applied to anyone, including Gandhi. Both cannot be true at the same time. You see how this can get confusing? Because we're going by our faulty standard. And our standards are always shifting. Our standards of good and bad are really quite skewed in our culture. Think about this. We live in a country where a majority of Americans believe that not recycling is more immoral than abortion. You realize that? We live in a society where you can be fined $5,000 and face up to a year in prison for breaking an eagle's egg, but killing an unborn child is approved by the highest court. Think about this. We live in a country that cares more about saving the whales than saving the unborn. We live in a country where many believe that abortion and euthanasia are moral while eating meat is not. We live in a country 
where a NASA scientist recently claimed that climate change is a moral issue on par with slavery. Now, you want our culture determining what is good and not? You want to let our society determine what is good and what is bad? Our culture constantly flaunts immorality and thumbs its nose at God. Consider this quote from a famous world leader. Today, Christians stand at the head of this country. I pledge that I never will tie myself to parties who want to destroy Christianity. We want to fill our culture again with the Christian spirit. We want to burn out all the recent immoral developments in literature, in the theater, and in the press. In short, we want to burn out the poison of immorality which has entered into our whole life and culture as a result of liberal excess during the past. Man, who could not agree with this, right? You know who wrote that? Adolf Hitler. So you want our culture to determine what is good and bad? You want our culture to determine for you what the standard is? You can't trust it because it's a shifting thing. It's always a skewed thing. It's always something that is up and down that changes every day. Our salvation is intricately tied to our sin. That's it. If we are good enough on our own, then Christ didn't have to die. If we're okay, then Christ died for nothing. I have someone very near and dear to me that believes that, that goodness is a ticket to heaven. And we discuss it, and we talk about it, but in his mind it's hard to grasp. And I understand. I mean, it is hard to grasp, right? Because we are so... We are so affected by our own thinking on this, and we have grown up a certain way, and, and we all have wonderful people in our life that are truly good, and it's hard for us when that comes in conflict with what the Bible says about obeying the gospel, and we have a hard time, don't we? And thankfully, we are not the final arbiter in those cases, right? But it's still difficult when you talk to someone and tell them that, you know, that goodness is a counterfeit ticket to heaven. But we will never grasp what it means to be a saved person until we grasp that each and every one of us are personally responsible for the death of another human being. All of us. Until you understand the magnitude of the cross, until you reflect upon what we just did moments ago in the Lord's Supper and understand the meaning and the magnitude of that, until you understand that your sin alone, even if you only committed one sin, was enough to put him there on the cross, until you understand that, you will never grasp what it means to be a saved individual. It's not about your goodness. It's not about living morally. You see, what we, what we fail to understand sometimes is that salvation is not a matter of goodness. Salvation is a matter of blood. Are you washed in the blood of Christ? Good and bad is really the wrong starting point. Life and death spiritually is where we begin. Christ didn't just come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. That was his motive. That was his reason for coming. That's why God sent him. Not to make bad people good, but to make dead people live. It's not how we live. It's who we live for. 
if our salvation was based on how we live, then again, Christ wouldn't have had to come. But it's not about how we live, it's who we live for. Can you live morally without living for Christ? Sure you can, but you cannot live for Christ without living morally. So how we live is, is tied to or based on who we're living for. It's who we follow that matters. And Christ says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll do the right thing. You will live right. You will, you will strive to be good. You will seek to have a heart that God looks at and says, you're saved. You know, unfortunately, many times we, we start at the wrong starting point. We start with good and bad, but that's not what this is about. The question all folks everywhere should be asking themselves is not whether they are good enough. The answer to that question is a resounding no, you're not, and you never will be. The question is, am I saved? Am I a child of God? That's the right starting point. That's where we begin. Because our salvation, as I said, is intricately tied to our sin. And until we grasp that, we will never understand the meaning of salvation. You know, when someone questions the goodness argument, when they say so-and-so is a good person, therefore they, they must be okay. I mean, this gentleman that, that I have these discussions with believes that in the end, you do more good than bad, then the good will outweigh the bad and you'll get to heaven. And I can understand that to some degree when you're when your thinking is based on the way you've grown up in our culture and you've been indoctrinated by society, but... You know, it also reveals something to us, doesn't it? When someone talks about the good being good enough to get to heaven argument, they're really, they're really bringing forth some truths that we can play off of. I mean, first of all, they're revealing that they believe in the concept of heaven. This is a concept that comes from the Bible, of course. It also reveals that many people believe that being good is important. And it also reveals that many people believe that there's some kind of judgment upon evil. I mean, obviously, if people that are good go to heaven, then bad people go to hell, right? All of this assumes a standard. You can't get away from it. It's just that we often use the wrong standard. Our standard doesn't work. It's just not good enough. But God's standard is perfect. And have you noticed that a lot of times discussions like this start with, well, I think, or I believe, or I hope. Do you really want to base your salvation on I think, or I believe, or I hope? I mean, I have people tell me, well, you know, I don't, I don't believe that, you know, that Church of Christ folks are the only ones going to heaven. And I hear you. You know, we've talked about that before. I mean, technically, it's not just Church of Christ folks who are in heaven, right? You think about all the unborn babies that have been murdered through abortion, you know, that are in heaven. So, I mean, we, we can get technical there, right? So, but, what, you know, let's, let's not even go there necessarily. Let's just talk about that for a minute. Okay, so who do you believe is in heaven? Because that's, that's a valid question, right? Who is in heaven? Are you going? I want you there, but I don't want you basing it on, well, I believe this or I believe that. doesn't matter what you believe. What does the Bible teach? Don't base your salvation on hope. Or, or I think, or, or I believe. What does God's word teach? The power of God's word is this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Who is the world? Everybody, right? All of us. 
since every person is included in the world, we all share moral culpability in sending Jesus to the cross. We are all responsible for his death. This is not a matter of Church of Christ doctrine versus whatever church doctrine that's out there. That's not what this is about. This is about, am I saved? And what does the Bible teach? Not, I hope, or I think, or this is what I believe. What does the Bible teach? Am I a saved individual? Because here's the thing. No one is good enough for heaven. No one. But no one is too bad to go to heaven either. That's the wonderful message of the gospel. That you don't have to be good enough. You just have to be saved. No matter how bad you've been, there is salvation. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the Spirit of God. No matter how bad you've been, you can be washed, you can be sanctified, you can be justified before God. Notice that Paul doesn't say, yeah, some of y'all dabbled in drinking. No, he says, you were a drunkard. He doesn't say, yeah, I know some of y'all stole some stuff. No, you were a thief. He identifies them with their sin. But then he says, that's what you used to be. You're not that anymore. Now you're a child of God. Not because you were good enough. In fact, quite the opposite. You were bad. But you were washed. How about you? Are you banking on goodness? Or maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, I will never be good enough. And I would say to you, absolutely, high five, you're right on. But you don't have to be. No matter how bad you've been, you can be saved. This isn't a matter of am I good or bad. This is a matter of am I saved. And what does the Bible teach? The Bible very plainly teaches that you are to, to believe, repent of your sin, to confess, to be immersed in the waters of baptism for the remission of your sins, and to live a faithful life to God. Have you done that? If not, come now as we stand and as we sing. Trusting in his grace is our. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you 